Section 18 of Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation, 1838-1839. By Francis Ann Kimball. Section 18. I have let my letter lie since the day before yesterday, dear E., having had no leisure to finish it. Yesterday morning I rode out to St. Clair's, where there used formerly to be another Negro settlement and another house of Major Blank's. I had been persuaded to try one of the mares I had formerly told you of, and to be sure a more cursed quadruped, and one more worthy of a Petruchio for a rider, I did never back. Her temper was furious, her gait intolerable, her mouth the most obdurate that ever tugged against bit and bridle. It is not wise anywhere. Here it is less wise than anywhere else in the world, to say, jamais de cette yeu je ne boirai but I think I will never ride that delightful creature, Miss Kate, again. I wrote you of my having been to a part of the estate called St. Clair's, where there was formerly another residence of Major Blank's. Nothing remains now of it but a ruined chimney of some of the offices, which is standing yet in the middle of what has become a perfect wilderness. At the best of times, with a large house, numerous household and paths and drives of approach, and the usual external conditions of civilization about it, a residence here would have been the loneliest that can well be imagined. Now it is the shaggiest desert of beautiful wood that I ever saw. The magnificent old oaks stand round the place in silent, solemn grandeur, and among them I had no difficulty in recognizing, by the description Captain Blank had given me of it, the crumbling, shattered relic of a tree called Oglethorpe's Oak. That worthy, valiant old governor had a residence here himself in the early days of the colony, when, under the influence of Wesley, he vainly made such strenuous efforts to keep aloof from his infant province the sore curse of slavery. I rode almost the whole way through a grove of perfect evergreen. I had with me one of the men of the name of Hector, who has a good deal to do with the horses and so had volunteered to accompany me, being one of the few negroes on the estate who can sit a horse. In the course of our conversation, Hector divulged certain opinions relative to the comparative gentility of driving in a carriage, and the vulgarity of walking, which sent me into fits of laughing, at which he grinned sympathetically, and opened his eyes very wide, but certainly without attaining the least insight into what must have appeared to him my very unaccountable and unreasonable merriment. Among various details of the condition of the people on the several estates in the island, he told me that a great number of the men on all the different plantations had wives on the neighboring estates, as well as on that to which they properly belonged. Oh, but, said I, Hector, you know that cannot be. A man has but one lawful wife. Hector knew this, he said, and yet seemed puzzled himself, and rather puzzled me to account for the fact that this extensive practice of bigamy was perfectly well known to the masters and overseers, 
and never in any way found fault with or interfered with. Perhaps this promiscuous mode of keeping up the slave population finds favor with the owners of creatures who are valued in the market at so much per head. This was a solution which occurred to me, but which I left my Trojan hero to discover, by dint of the profound pondering into which he fell. Not far from the house, as I was cantering home, I met Blank, and took her up on the saddle before me, an operation which seemed to please her better than the vicious horse I was riding, whose various demonstrations of dislike to the arrangement afforded my small equestrian extreme delight and triumph. My whole afternoon was spent in shifting my bed and bedroom furniture from a room on the ground floor to one above, in the course of which operation a brisk discussion took place between Blank and my boy Jack, who was nailing on the valance of the bed, and whom I suddenly heard exclaim in answer to something she had said, "'Well, then, I do think so, and that's the speech of a man whether I'm bond or free.' A very trifling incident, and insignificant speech, and yet it came back to my ears very often afterward, the speech of a man, whether bond or free. They might be made conscious, some of them are evidently conscious, of an inherent element of manhood superior to the bitter accident of slavery, and to which even in their degraded condition they might be made to refer that vital self-respect which can survive all external pressure of mere circumstance, and give their souls to that service of God which is perfect freedom, in spite of the ignoble and cruel bondage of their bodies. My new apartment is what I should call decidedly airy. The window, unless when styled by courtesy shut, which means admitting of draught enough to blow a candle out, must be wide open, being incapable of any intermediate condition. The latch of the door, to speak the literal truth, does shut, but it is the only part of it that does, that is, the latch and the hinges, Everywhere else its configuration is traced by a distinct line of light and air. If what old Dr. Psychic used to say be true, that a draft which will not blow out a candle will blow out a man's life, a Spanish proverb originally, I believe, my life is threatened with extinction in almost every part of this new room of mine, wherein, moreover, I now discover to my dismay, having transported every other article of bedroom furniture to it, it is impossible to introduce the wardrobe for my clothes. Well, our stay here is drawing to a close, and therefore these small items of discomfort cannot afflict me much longer. Among my visitors today was a poor woman named One, who told me her husband had gone away from her now for four years. It seems he was the property of Mr. Blank, and when that gentleman went to slave-driving on his own account, and ceased to be the overseer of this estate, he carried her better half, who was his chattel, away with him, and she never expects to see him again. After her departure I had a most curious visitor, a young lad of the name of Renty, whose very decidedly mulatto tinge accounted, I suppose, for the peculiar disinvoltura of his carriage and manner. He was evidently, in his own opinion, a very superior creature, and yet, as his conversation with me testified, he was conscious of some flaw in the honor of his yellow complexion. "'Who is your mother, Renty?' said I. 
I give you our exact dialogue. Betty, Headman Frank's wife. I was rather dismayed at the promptness of this reply, and hesitated a little at my next question. Who is your father? My sprightly young friend, however, answered, without an instant's pause, Mr. Blank. Here I came to a halt, and, willing to suggest some doubt to the lad, because for many peculiar reasons this statement seemed to me shocking, I said, What, old Mr. Blank? No, Massa Blank. Did your mother tell you so? No, nah, missus. Me ashamed to ask her. Mr. Blank's children told me so, and I spect they know it. Renty, you see, did not take Falconbridge's view of such matters, and as I was by no means sorry to find that he considered his relation to Mr. Blank a disgrace to his mother, which is an advance in moral perception not often met with here, I said no more upon the subject. Tuesday, March 3. This morning, old house Molly, coming from Mr. Blank's upon some errand to me, I asked her if Renty's statement was true. She confirmed the whole story, and moreover added that this connection took place after Betty was married to headman Frank. Now he, you know, E, is the chief man at the Rice Island, second in authority to Mr. Blank, and indeed for a considerable part of the year, absolute master and guardian during the night of all the people and property at the rice plantation for after the early spring the white overseer himself is obliged to betake himself to the mainland to sleep out of the influence of the deadly malaria of the rice swamp and frank remains sole sovereign of the island from sunset to sunrise in short during the whole period of his absence mr blank bestowed the highest commendations upon his fidelity and intelligence and, during the visit Mr. Blank Blank paid us at the island, he was emphatic in his praise of both Frank and his wife, the latter having, as he declared, by way of climax to his eulogies, quite the principles of a white woman. Perhaps she imbibed them from his excellent influence over her. Frank is a serious, sad, sober-looking, very intelligent man. I should think he would not relish having his wife borrowed from him even by the white gentleman who admired her principles so much and it is quite clear from poor renty's speech about his mother that by some of these people and if by any then very certainly by frank the disgrace of such an injury is felt and appreciated much after the fashion of white men this old woman molly is a wonderfully intelligent active energetic creature though considerably over seventy years old she was talking to me about her former master, Major Blank, and what she was pleased to call the Revelation War, i.e. Revolution War, during which that gentleman, having embraced the side of the rebellious colonies in their struggle against England, was by no means on a bed of roses. He bore King George's commission and was a major in the British Army, but having married a great Carolina heiress and become proprietor of these plantations, sided with the country of his adoption and not that of his birth, in the war between them, and was a special object of animosity on that account to the English officers who attacked the seaboard of Georgia and sent troops on shore and up the Altamaha to fetch off the Negroes or incite them to rise against their owners. "'The British,' said Molly, 
make old massa run about bare much in the great revelation war he ran effectually however and contrived to save both his life and property from the invader molly's account was full of interest in spite of the grotesque lingo in which it was delivered and which once or twice nearly sent me into convulsions of laughing whereupon she apologized with great gravity for her mispronunciation modestly suggesting that white words were impossible to the organs of speech of black folks it is curious how universally any theory no matter how absurd is accepted by these people for anything in which the contemptuous supremacy of the dominant race is admitted and their acquiescence in the theory of their own incorrigible baseness is so complete that this more than any other circumstance in their condition makes me doubtful of their rising from it in order to set poor dear old molly's notions straight with regard to the negro incapacity for speaking plain the noble white words i called blank to me and set her talking and having pointed out to molly how very imperfect her mode of pronouncing many words was convinced the worthy old negress that want of training and not any absolute original impotence was the reason why she disfigured the white words for which she had such a profound respect in this matter as in every other the slaves pay back to their masters the evil of their own dealings with usury though unintentionally no culture however slight simple or elementary is permitted to these poor creatures and the utterance of many of them is more like what prospero describes calibans to have been than the speech of men and women in a christian and civilized land the children of their owners brought up among them acquire their negro mode of talking slavish speech surely it is and it is distinctly perceptible in the utterances of all southerners particularly of the women whose avocations taking them less from home are less favorable to their throwing off this ignoble trick of pronunciation than the more varied occupation and the more extended and promiscuous business relations of men the yankee twang of the regular down easter is not more easily detected by any ear nice in enunciation and accent than the thick negro speech of the southerners neither is lovely or melodious but though the puritan snuffle is the harsher of the two the slave slobber of the language is the more ignoble in spite of the softer voices of the pretty southern women who utter it i rode out to-day upon miss kate again with jack for my esquire I made various vain attempts to ride through the woods, following the cattle tracks. They turned round and round into each other, or led out into the sandy pine barren, the eternal frame in which all nature is set here, the inevitable limit to the prospect, turn landward which way you will. The wood-paths which I followed between evergreen thickets, though little satisfactory in their ultimate result, were really more beautiful than the most perfect arrangement of artificial planting that i ever saw in an english park and i thought if i could transplant the region which i was riding through bodily into the midst of some great nobleman's possessions on the other side of the water how beautiful an accession it would be thought to them i was particularly struck with the elegant growth of a profuse wild shrub i passed several times to-day the leaves of which were pale green underneath and a deep red varnished brown above i must give you an idea of the sort of service one is liable to obtain from one's most intelligent and civilized servants hereabouts 
and the consequent comfort and luxury of one's daily existence yesterday alec the youth who fulfills the duties of what you call a waiter and we in england a footman gave me a salad for dinner mixed with so large a portion of the soil in which it had grown that i requested him to-day to be kind enough to wash the lettuce before he brought it to table Blank later in the day told me that he had applied to her very urgently for soap and a brush as Mrs. wished the lettuce scrubbed, a fate from which my second salad was saved by her refusal of these desired articles and further instructions upon the subject. Dearest E, I have been long promising poor old House Molly to visit her in her own cabin, and so the day before yesterday I walked round the settlement to her dwelling, and a most wretched hovel I found it she has often told me of the special directions left by her old master for the comfort and well-being of her old age and certainly his charge has been but little heeded by her heirs for the poor faithful old slave is most miserably off in her infirm years she made no complaint however but seemed overjoyed at my coming to see her she took me to the hut of her brother old jacob where the same wretched absence of every decency and every comfort prevailed but neither of them seemed to think the condition that appeared so wretched to me one of peculiar hardship though molly's former residence in her master's house might reasonably have made her discontented with the lot of absolute privation to which she was now turned over but for the moment my visit seemed to compensate for all sublunary sorrows and she and poor old jacob kept up a duet of rejoicing at my advent and that i had brought the little missus among em people afore they die leaving them i went on to the house of jacob's daughter hannah with whom psyche the heroine of the rice island story and wife of his son joe lives i found their cabin as tidy and comfortable as it could be made and their children as usual neat and clean they are capital women both of them with an innate love of cleanliness and order most uncommon among these people on my way home i overtook two of my daily suppliants who were going to the house in search of me and meat flannel rice and sugar as the case might be they were both old and infirm-looking women and one of them called scylla was extremely lame which she accounted for by an accident she had met with while carrying a heavy weight of rice on her head she had fallen on a sharp stake or snag as she called it and had never recovered the injury she had received she complained also of falling of the womb her companion who was not charybdis however but phoebe was a cheery soul who complained of nothing but begged for flannel i asked her about her family and children she had no children left nothing but grandchildren she had had nine children and seven of them died quite young the only two who grew up left her to join the british when they invaded georgia in the last war and their children whom they left behind were all her family now in the afternoon i made my first visit to the hospital of the estate and found it as indeed i find everything else here in a far worse state even than the wretched establishments on the rice island dignified by that name so miserable a place for the purpose to which it was dedicated i could not have imagined on a property belonging to christian owners the floor which was not boarded but merely the damp hard earth itself 
was strewn with wretched women who but for their moans of pain and uneasy restless motions might very well have each been taken for a mere heap of filthy rags the chimney refusing passage to the smoke from the pine wood fire it puffed out in clouds through the room where it circled and hung only gradually oozing away through the windows which were so far well adapted to the purpose that there was not a single whole pane of glass in them my eyes unaccustomed to the turbid atmosphere smarted and watered and refused to distinguish at first the different dismal forms from which cries and wails assailed me in every corner of the place by degrees i was able to endure for a few minutes what they were condemned to live their hours and days of suffering and sickness through and having given what comfort kind words and promises of help in more substantial forms could convey i went on to what seemed a yet more wretched abode of wretchedness this was a room where there was no fire because there was no chimney and where the holes made for windows had no panes or glasses in them the shutters being closed the place was so dark that on first entering it i was afraid to stir lest i should fall over some of the deplorable creatures extended upon the floor as soon as they perceived me one cry of oh missus rang through the darkness and it really seemed to me as if i was never to exhaust the pity and amazement and disgust which this receptacle of suffering humanity was to excite in me the poor dingy supplicating sleepers upraised themselves as i cautiously advanced among them those who could not rear their bodies from the earth held up piteous beseeching hands and as i passed from one to the other i felt more than one imploring clasp laid upon my dress to solicit my attention to some new form of misery one poor woman called Tresa, who was unable to speak above a whisper from utter weakness and exhaustion told me she had had nine children was suffering from incessant flooding and felt as if her back would split open there she lay a mass of filthy tatters without so much as a blanket under or over her on the bare earth in this chilly darkness i promised them help and comfort beds and blankets and light and fire that is i promised to ask mr Blank for all this for them and in the very act of doing so i remembered with a sudden pang of anguish that i was to urge no more petitions for his slaves to their master i groped my way out and emerging on the piazza all the choking tears and sobs i had controlled broke forth and i leaned there crying over the lot of these unfortunates till i heard a feeble voice of missus you no cry missus what for you cry and looking up saw that i had not yet done with this intolerable infliction a poor crippled old man lying in the corner of the piazza unable even to crawl towards me had uttered this word of consolation and by his side apparently too idiotic as he was too impotent to move sat a young woman the expression of whose face was the most suffering and at the same time the most horribly repulsive i ever saw i found she was as i supposed half-witted and on coming nearer to inquire into her ailments and what i could do for her found her suffering from that horrible disease i believe some form of scrofula to which the negroes are subject which attacks and eats away the joints of their hands and fingers a more hideous and loathsome object i never beheld her name was patty and she was granddaughter to the old crippled creature by whose side she was squatting 
I wandered home, stumbling with crying as I went, and feeling so utterly miserable that I really hardly saw where I was going. For I, as nearly as possible, fell over a great heap of oyster-shells left in the middle of the path. This is a horrid nuisance, which results from an indulgence which the people here have, and value highly. The waters round the island are prolific in shellfish, oysters, and the most magnificent prawns I ever saw. The former are a considerable article of the people's diet, and the shells are allowed to accumulate as they are used in the composition of which their huts are built, and which is a sort of combination of mud and broken oyster-shells, which forms an agglomeration of a kind very solid and durable for such building purposes. But instead of being all carried to some specified place out of the way, these great heaps of oyster-shells are allowed to be piled up anywhere and everywhere, forming the most unsightly obstructions in every direction. Of course, the cultivation of order for the sake of its own seemliness and beauty is not likely to be an element of slave existence. And as masters have been scarce on this plantation for many years now, a mere unsightliness is not a matter likely to trouble anybody much. But after my imminent overthrow by one of these disorderly heaps of refuse, I think I may make bold to request that the paths along which I am likely to take my daily walks may be kept free from them. On my arrival at home, at the house, I cannot call any place here my home, I found Renty waiting to exhibit to me an extremely neatly made leather pouch, which he has made by my order, of fitting size and dimensions, to receive Jack's hatchet and saw. Jack and I have set up a sort of Sir Walter and Tom Purdy championship of clearing and cutting paths through the woods nearest to the house, thinning the overhanging branches, clearing the small evergreen thickets which here and there close over and across the grassy track. To me this occupation was especially delightful until quite lately since the weather began to be rather warmer and the snakes to slide about. Jack has contrived to inoculate me with some portion of his terror of them, but I have still a daily hankering after the lovely green woodwalks. Perhaps when once I have seen a live rattlesnake, my enthusiasm for them will be modified to the degree that his is. End of section 18. Recording by James K. White. Chula Vista.